Welcome to the Erasing Shame podcast, season one. This podcast is about erasing shame through honest talk for healthy living, emotionally, relationally, mentally, and personally. Visit our website at erasingshame.com for links to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe on iTunes and YouTube. Now, let's have an honest talk for healthy living. Hey, hello world. Welcome to the Erasing Shame podcast, season one. And my name is DJ Chuang. I'm joined with co-host Eunice Lee. And on this episode, we're going to talk about shame, something that usually people don't talk about. Describe what it is and what it looks like and give you an overview, a preview of coming episodes that we'll have in this season. So first, let us set the table and introduce ourselves as the hosts. So Ladies first, Eunice Lee, would you give a quick minute and introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, thanks, DJ. Uh, my name is Eunice, um, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I work primarily with Asian Americans, um, but I'm also myself Korean American. And so this uh, issue of shame and talking about it, what it feels like, and just opening up the, the room for dialogue of that experience um, is something that I'm really passionate about and I love talking about and I've experienced myself. And um, so I'm really excited about this, um, this podcast, Racing Shame. Well, thank you, Eunice. I'm so glad to have you co-host this with me because I didn't think it should be a monologue. Uh, Racing Shame has such a relational element. So having uh, conversation partners uh, for us and then also with our listeners. Uh, we're doing this, recording this on Facebook Live, so audience participation is definitely welcome. They can add a comment and we'll read some questions and comments as we go along. Um, my name is DJ Chuang. I live here in Orange County, California. I've been married 23 years and we have a 20-year-old son who's in college now. And uh, I work as an engineer with a uh, top-level domain name, so I kind of manage the internet plumbing but in the past, I've worked in nonprofits with um, different organizations as a consultant and on staff, usually in social media and digital kind of things. So uh, great to be here and to host this conversation because it's personally meaningful to me um, as part of my own life experience and how I uh, have also seen shame um, be harmful or uh, hold people back from uh, really healthy living. So uh, this show is about uh, honest talk for healthy living. So we'll be honest and we're going to just be ourselves here. So uh, first, let's um, define what, what is shame. Uh, it's not a word that we hear a lot in America, although a couple of TED videos uh, have popularized the term and uh, along with social media. So Eunice, would you give us a yeah. textbook definition and we'll start unpacking it. Yeah, well, I think we talked a little bit about it last uh, last week for our first episode. Um, but as you're mentioning the TED Talks and Brene Brown, she talks about how she, guilt is a feeling that you did something wrong and shame is a feeling that you are wrong. And Brene does a great job of kind of laying the landscape of how it can imp it, it can impact our lives and cause us to stay small. And um, even in this, DJ, I was just thinking about this earlier this week and um how I went to this woman's kind of night, this woman's conference thing where they mm -hmm. talked about pain and and um, suffering and shame and all of these things. And I realized that shame is universal. First of mm -hmm. all, there's definitely um, 
a feeling that we're wrong. I think it just kind of lives in us at all times. Um, mm-hmm. And I think particularly being at this women's event and seeing how there was so, um, that was such an understood feeling among this large group of women. Um, so there's definitely that, but I, I also, I also wanted to add that I think that within the um, the eastern side of the western side of it, shame is a feeling, and sometimes you can shame someone else. It's an action, mm-hmm. but I okay. also think that in the eastern um, understanding or Asian American understanding of shame, it's more of an an action in that it's like we're just standing there and we're shaming our family, or we're just being ourselves and we're shaming someone. So I think there's like a really um, deeply attached part of what shame feels like and um mm. yeah so i don't know if you have anything to add to that so well we're, thinking- we're gonna have a whole season we're, we're gonna have a whole podcast about it because it's such a big subject yeah. and i think it affects so many different parts of our lives and it's not something we talk about and i think that's why um i, I think it's important for us to really take the time to uh understand it to uh name the things that we're feeling to uh, explore um, the things that are keeping us from really living well and living healthy, particularly in the areas of emotions and relationships and mental health, as well as our personal health. And all of that's connected. Um, and I might even, uh, we might even explore the aspects of physical and uh, even spiritual because we're, we're uh, multidimensional people and we cannot uh, ignore one part just because um, it doesn't quite make sense or people don't talk about it regardless of our culture. Cause, um, this, the shame thing definitely affects us, um, so deeply. And I think, um, there is beginning to show scientific evidence that it physically harms us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think shame can be very isolating, which is why I think it's such a, everyone feels like it's a experience that only they have because it's hard to describe, it's hard to embody, and it's not really talked about, and it keeps us in the dark. And so- Yeah, so, you know. so let's move away from the dictionary and let's draw from our experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll start and share uh, an experience I've had with shame. So um, I went to grad school, and uh, during my senior year of grad school, our class would put on a, a um, what do you call it, a satire or a, a play, to kind of poke fun at the uh, professors. And uh, initially I, I was really excited and I said, oh, I was gonna direct the program and uh, really uh, produce the show. But um, I realized that was uh, kind of something I did as, as a spur of the moment and I didn't know how to follow through. And I felt so much shame about that because I couldn't follow through. I couldn't look people in their face and then I just hid Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I drew back and I didn't go to the meetings. And then when the, um, when the show actually came, I was a stage hand and they wanted, uh, everybody participating in the play to kind of give, um, you know, give a bow to being part of the play. And I just hid backstage because mm-hmm. I was just feeling so bad mm-hmm. about not being able to, uh, participate like I thought I could. Yeah, that must have been really hard. Yeah, I still think about it. That That's one of my most recent incidents. And mm-hmm. it's been, well, I have other incidents too. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to just share yeah. one and see um, 
um, kind of flesh it out and help people to relate. Yeah, sure. Yeah. How about I think, you? I think for me, well, um, it's for me, it was never the big things that have caused me. Like I remember in 10th grade, um, I was, I can't believe I'm sharing the story, but I was, I was mm -hmm. talking in an English class about my future and I was saying I was going to be a psychologist and talking about, um, some of the needs that we have, like uh, there's like a hierarchy of needs triangle. You can look it up online. But anyways, instead of saying self-actualization, I accidentally said sex and it was super embarrassing. Oh my. <laughs> um, but you know, that's not what was embarrassing. That wasn't shameful to me. That was just embarrassing. And it was like, okay, that's, you know, that's embarrassing, but it, it would be universally embarrassing. So I could laugh it off. But I remember this one moment of shame when I was like six or seven, I went to the grocery store and I realized that I was wearing uh, pajama pants as hmm. instead of regular pants. Oh, you're and a trendsetter. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, now it would be fine. But back then it was like, oh, my gosh, what do people see? And then we saw some family friends and I was like, mom, don't say anything. Don't say anything. And of course, the first thing she said is, oh, Eunice is wearing her pajama pants. And then they laughed at me. And then she said she also wanted me not to say anything. And I just remember feeling this kind of like shut down of like, Mm. Oh, I can't be different. I can't stand out. I can't ever do anything wrong because the moment that I do, it just, it was like when you, when you hit water on like an oiled pan, it just like, kind of like, like explodes, you know? And it's like, Oh, I really don't want to be um, different. I don't want to be seen for certain things. I think that same feeling shows up whenever I do even just a small interaction, a small thing that might not be a big deal, um, like a small kind of, awkward meeting or awkward interaction with someone, I feel that same, like, oh, I don't want to feel this way. So for me, like that creates a more visceral um, feeling inside of me than my big sex speech in high school, which was not a big <laughs> deal at all for me. But because that's something you can share and laugh off. But the, to me, it was the little thing, that little moment of like, I don't want to feel this way. Yeah, that that's interesting. Let's let's explore that a bit because uh, these uh, circles are overlapping. So, embarrassment is kind of next to shame. Yeah. And then uh, when someone teases you or scolds you, that could be uh, close to shame, depending how how your heart responds. Yeah. And then uh, your own reaction of uh, wanting to hide or hold back mm -hmm. could be a part of sh shame because your um afraid of being yeah. exposed or um, feeling bad because you're not, on the, not, not enough for your family or, or for people's expectations. Yeah. What was going on in those two situations for you? Well, I think with, um, I think with the, the, the thing with the pajama pants, that was of like a feeling of exposure and a feeling that I was, um, a feeling like I wasn't in the know. And I think that's pretty, hmm. I don't, I feel like that's common in the Asian American experience um, because there's all these rules and regulations that we are supposed to know that we don't. Um, and it's really confusing. I remember walking through my childhood kind of like, it was like walking through all these invisible, um, like it, it, I almost felt clumsy hmm. just walking through life um, because it was like, oh, you should have known. So even like when I was around that age, um, my grandma and would walk me to the bus stop and drop me off. And then um, she would walk home. And so one day she said, you, you should take my coat. 
because I'm too hot. And I was like, no, it was a cold day. So I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm just going to take my own coat. And she insisted. And she said, if you don't take my coat, what are you going to do to your grandma? I have to walk home with this heavy coat. And, you know, it's just a very Korean grandma thing to say. And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. So we switched coats. And then I got paged to the office halfway through the day because her house keys were in that coat. And she had switched them for my benefit. And so that's, you know, it's a typical mix up. My dad had to go leave work and she found a phone somehow. I don't even know how she did. Her English isn't great, but um, she found my dad came to pick up the keys. And then the one thing that I remember coming home, I was, everyone was saying to me, you should have known that she was lying. You shouldn't have trusted that what she was saying was what she was saying. Cause clearly she was doing it for you and you should have known that. And it was like, this is so confusing. This is so confusing. This like, everybody's saying you should have known. And I think that same thing with that comes up, that same feeling with the pajama pants is like, oh, you should have known that this isn't what's typical and what's normal. And you didn't know until too late. And for me, that's that feeling of shame. If that makes sense. Yeah, I have a hard time uh, in Asian culture too. I came to the US when I was eight years old. Mm -hmm. So I've been here for over four decades now. But um, I, I grew up with Chinese parents and they're very, Chinesey, <laughs> but uh, I could not figure out the body language and the nonverbals. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what they were referring to these nonverbals and um, subtle cues or mm -hmm. things that you're supposed to caught without being said. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just couldn't catch it. I need, I needed someone to explain things to me, which yeah. over the years I, I had, but it was really, uh, it felt really bad to, yeah have people tell me I should have known. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there's definitely like a positive to that in that in in the Eastern culture, there's so much like um, one of the strengths is anticipating people's needs. And I think mm. that's really great. But then when it comes with like, you expect everyone to anticipate your needs, then I think things get um, pretty unhealthy and, and sometimes really difficult relationally when you expect people to meet your needs. So... It's yeah, and then on top of that, they they scold you for not anticipating it. Yes, exactly. So that that makes it even worse. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, have you seen like we've talked kind of shame on a personal level, but do you feel like there's elements of shame in like uh, you've seen in like family systems or in community systems? And when I say systems, I mean just like families and community, um, like that idea of shame. Because I do, I was thinking about this the other day and how we grew up with someone in our, our church. Um, their father died and he was a teenager mm -hmm. and he didn't show up for the, he didn't show up to greet everyone at the funeral because he was a teenager. He was really depressed. His father died. And that was, instead of kind of understanding there was this shame about it. Like he should have, he should know to be a good host. And it's just kind of, it's just kind of hard to, to even see that and think like, this is the, this is the culture that we live in. And it, it was really hard for that teenager to lose his father. And instead of embracing him, we're, um, we're saying that he should have done it better. That's really mm. hard. That is hard. Yeah. When, when I think of family shame, um, I, I kind of have to think of my own and mm. that's not real. That's not real comfortable. <laughs> well, yeah. shame, shame isn't comfortable. Um, mm. 
but uh, I think in my own family dynamic, uh, I'm the oldest son of three boys. Mm -hmm. And uh, in my own family dynamic, I, where I felt shame and felt bad was as the oldest son, I didn't know how to be responsible to um, guide and uh, protect my younger brothers. And I think over the years, I thought that was an expectation that uh, people had of me and I didn't meet them. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't meet people's expectation, I felt the shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And was that ever explicitly stated or was it more within the just kind of that that message transferred to you through nonverbals and all that? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I just had that bad feeling that held me back. Yeah. And then I think it was because we, uh, oh, the other family dynamic, particularly in Asian culture, I'm sure it's in other cultures too, is how people compare mm -hmm. us to others. Mm -hmm. So I was compared to my younger brothers. And then uh, each of us was compared with other families that were mm -hmm. in our extended family and our extended network. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes that came across like a shaming thing mm -hmm. because we weren't good enough. Yeah. Why can't you be like them? Yeah. And uh, that doesn't help us because yeah. uh, life is not easy. Yeah, totally. I think that there's so much comparison in, in the culture. Like my parents have done it. And also what's interesting is they also compare me with who they thought that I should be. Like, mm. oh, you're so smart when you're growing up, what happened? Or you were, you could have been so successful, what happened? Um, I think that the tipping point for me is that my husband is Vietnamese American mm. and um, they told everyone that he was Chinese for six years. Um, Why would they do that? Because in our, 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 you know, the Korean community, there's a certain racism that's towards Southeast Asians even though his parents had the oh. same job as my parents, they're both engineers and computer scientists. And um, they just really assumed that, um, and they even asked him about, they said, I, um, we know that he's okay, but other people are, will assume that he's not. And so mm. it was the shame of, oh, she's marrying someone outside of what is acceptable. And then we'll be known as the family whose daughter married a Vietnamese American man. So it gets very oh. deep. Um, my experience of family shame um, with, especially with race. So a whole family can get labeled for one person's behavior mm -hmm. or yeah. even the perception of one person's behavior yeah. or association in, in this case, just an association. Yeah. Wow. It's funny because my, my sister's married to a white guy and they'll always kind of explain to him what Korean people are as if he's going to tell the other white people. Like, like, <laughs> Korean people are very smart. Korean people, go tell the rest of them. And I'm trying to explain to my parents, white people don't work that way. They don't tell the rest of the community. Like you're not, your coworker is not going to find out that you're you're a good person because you told your son-in-law. So, but it's it's like uh, the context of their heads is like all people of one culture talk, and it's so funny. Yeah. Well, we we kind of get the same reaction too if we're the uh, only Asian in a social mm -hmm. setting that whatever we say represents the whole tribe. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird Funny. pressure, huh? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So 
Uh, now, before we go further, we, we do want to say that uh, we're not trying to erase um, all kinds of shame because we're, we're, and we're not saying that we should be shameless. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's actually a TV show called Shameless. Yeah. What is that about? I don't I have no idea. It's some. It's a. It's a dad who's having a hard time holding a job, and he's got like four or five kids, and they're just struggling, struggling through life, and they'll do some shameless things as they uh, just try to okay. go through life. Okay. So shameless is where you, you uh, was where where someone doesn't even care about what other people think, mm -hmm. and they'll do um, things that dishonor people, and they'll just be rude, and they don't care about rules. And have no decorum, mm -hmm. so we're not talking about being shameless, but um, we are talking about the uh, this 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 other thing called shame that um, keeps us from being healthy. Yeah. And um, we've shared some stories of what that kind of looks like. So um, let let's talk a bit about well we're. Oh, we're at 20 minutes already. So yeah. let's uh, move along towards um, wh where we're going with this. So we, we've explored shame, what it looks like. Uh, anything else you want to add to that before we take a preview of our um, season? Yeah, well, I think um, there's a lot of ways that we, um, that we kind of try to hold or cope with shame. And first of all, I want to kind of extend expand on what you're saying about not being shameless because i think that there's a difference between healthy shame of that kind of feeling like mm. kind of like healthy guilt if you steal something you'll probably feel that that grating inside of you and if you don't feel that then there's some other stuff going on you know and so there's healthy shame too i think in um when we act without decorum but i think there's also toxic shame and that's what we're trying to erase here is that toxicity mm. of the shame not necessarily okay. all shame and just kind of okay. throwing out so there. maybe we'll take an episode just to distinguish that. How do you know when the shame is good versus when it's toxic? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then how do you get help? Totally. Yeah. Totally. But now what happens? Oh, go ahead. Uh, my, my notes here. So what mm -hmm. happens when someone is experiencing shame, but doesn't know how to describe it? How does it show up in their behavior or um, you were describing coping mechanisms? Yeah. I think it's kind like of lots fancy of words, so that's why I was kind of like, oh, okay. yeah. What yeah. <laughs> um, I've asked people when they, you know, feelings are always associated with body parts and emotions and things like that. Hmm. And I've heard a lot that shame kind of lives, uh, just from my experience as a counselor, is shame kind of lives either in the pit of our stomach or on our shoulders. As I, I hear that a lot, like this weight hmm. on our shoulders or, you know, kind of in the, kind of lives inside of us something twisting in our stomach um and i think that's like kind of the that's the feeling the bodily feeling that comes with the shame is often that it it feels like a weight or it feels like something's off or wrong um yeah i, I put down like i was thinking that shame is kind of like a curtain that's drawn on the lowest point of your life and it's mm. like it has the end of the the act or the end of the play it has the final word on your life it's that it labels you and identifies you. And that's mm. how I've always felt like shame feels like. It's like, this is it. There's no redemption for me. Wow. It's like you're at the end of the road and you've got nowhere else to go. Yeah. And that will uh, be your gravestone. There's no next chapter and yeah. you're stuck and mm -hmm. uh, it's curtains. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, that's yeah. a that's a picture I hadn't thought of, but I can I can feel how uh, helpless that could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so how how do we um, you know how do we cycle into shame in and out of shame? How do we end up spiraling? Like, what are some things that we tend to do to deal with shame? Well, that was my question to you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then I know, um, I, I know some, um, I know, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking mm-hmm. people will go, go to other things to uh, just find something to comfort themselves. Mm-hmm. So you can turn to drugs or alcohol or sex or binge on TV or um, um, watch lots of movies, uh, eat lots of food or mm-hmm. or not eat lots of food or work out like crazy. So finding some kind of distraction to just avoid that pain because it's such a hard place to go to. I think that's the most common. And uh, the other part about shame, it, it's if it festers and it flourishes when it's in hiding. Yeah. When, uh, when it's in the dark and uh, when it's not visited. And that's why we want to have some honest talk about shame so that we can uh, draw people to health and kind of show people the way and say, Hey, you're not alone when you have these feelings and, and uh, there is help and there's hope and we want to cheer you on. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of um, it's something, even as we're talking about what shame feels like, I think that there is a lot of need for control and um, performing well when it, in Mm. the face of shame. And so I've noticed that, you know, wanting to get everything perfect. So I love that we're doing Erasing Shame on Facebook Live because this won't be perfect. And it kind of embodies everything that we're doing is that it's it's going to be real and it's going to be live, literally. And, um, but yeah, I've seen a lot of performance um, and then a lot of like numbing out and going into this fantasy world, whether that's video games or internet, uh, online relationships, mm-hmm. um, yes. like obsessing over oh, other people's yeah. lives, celebrity gossip or YouTube videos, things like mm. that. And um I've also noticed the one thing that is um, really prevalent, I think, is depression, because mm. I feel like as a person in mm-hmm. a family system, and I'm going to try to stop using f- fancy words, but a, a person in a family that says that we're really good, and then you feel like there's something off, a lot of times then we start to feel point, there's no one else to point to in the family. So we point to back to ourselves and say, I'm the mm. bad one, I'm the wrong one. And I'm the, I'm the one, I'm the screw up. I'm the mess up. I'm the black sheep of the family. I'm too this, I'm too that. I'm too loud. I'm too messy. I'm too vulnerable. And it causes a lot of depression when we're pointing it back at ourselves because it's really hard to say, I want to, it's really hard to say my family is not perfect, especially in a shame-based culture. My family, Mm -hmm. my parents didn't do a good enough job. It's really hard to say that. So it's easier to say I'm depressed. Um, I have issues. I'm the wrong one. Which again is um, kind of pushing down the pain and hiding, mm-hmm. and, and just kind of covering it under this thing of shame, uh, depression. Yeah. Uh, but but you're right. Um, I hadn't thought of the performance part that people could become super competitive and super performance in order to kind of uh, earn earn some honor and um, show that they're okay mm-hmm. when they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got a lot to talk about um, just in season one. And uh, we'll, uh, in our initial schedule, we've, um, we're going to spend an episode talking about 
the uh, family relationships that shame can affect, uh, as well as some personal aspects, uh, men mental health aspects, and um, uh, personal aspects as well. And we hope yeah. to have some guests on that can bring additional perspectives. I don't know if we'll be able to uh, get Brene Brown, but maybe that's uh, worth <laughs> an ask. <laughs> so as we work up our courage, uh, we'll, we'll ask and see if she can join us. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah. And uh, we we certainly invite you uh, as our listeners and watchers uh, to participate. Oh, we got a first comment. So we're going to close with reading this comment uh, as as a closeout. But uh, please visit our website, erasingshame.com, like our Facebook page. And if you want to listen to the audio version, uh, we're on iTunes. So you can subscribe there. The button is there on erasingshame.com. And then I will also be posting this video on YouTube so we can reach people there. Uh, we really want to uh, be of help to people and uh, begin peeling back the layers of shame and help people to experience freedom and healing. So that's what this podcast is all about. And we really thank you for tuning in and we would love to hear back from you. And our first comment um, is from a guy named David. And he says, since many Asian cultures are performance-based, often our sense of shame stems from not feeling like, uh, not feeling like we've done good enough. Mm -hmm. uh, and as you, as you guys have mentioned, how would you encourage second and third generation parents to parent differently? Mm -hmm. And what would be some tangible ways that as parents, we can remind ourselves to now subject our own children and the next generation, uh, not subject them to this toxic shame? Yeah. Want to give a quick word and then we'll sign off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that question. I think we could do a whole a whole uh, episode on that question. Um, for me as a new mom, this, this is a question that's always on my mind. How to change those patterns? How to, I have an eight month old son. How mm. to change what he's experiencing so that it's not living in shame. And um, just the, off the top of my head, embracing your child's uniqueness in the good, in the bad, in the ugly, in the messy. Know for him or her to know that they're fully loved by their parents. Um, but that's also really hard when we haven't experienced it ourselves. And mm -hmm. so it takes work. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we have to be the, the bearers of that work. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to dive deeper into that. Thank you, David. That's a great segue. And parenting will be definitely one of our episodes uh, coming up in the next, uh, within the next month. I think that's yeah. uh, where we're headed. Well, thank you for tuning in. This is Erasing Shame. My name is DJ Chuang with my co-host Eunice Lee. We'll be back again next week. Have a great week.